Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everybody and welcome back to another episode in this our third season. I mean, technically a second season because <laughs> our other second season was only three episodes long. So our second proper season. But anyway, I'm getting lost already. Uh, welcome back to <laughs> our Blitzioteski season. <laughs> yes, here I am uh, getting myself confused, and we've only just started. So welcome back. This is our Politzioteski season. I'm here as ever with my co-host Rod Barnett. Hello, Rod. Hello, Adrian. How are you doing today, buddy? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Now, you've just published an episode on the Bloody Pit covering a Lucio Fulci film that many people may be less familiar with uh, mm-hmm. called Mur- Murder Rock. Yeah, I, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's one of his post-peak uh, horror period uh, films it's you know once you get into about 84 a lot of the uh, the the ones that are drawn to the, the the fans that are drawn to Lucio Fulci for his horror output have a tendency to drop away because yeah. he wasn't continuing to shove splinters through people's eyes and uh, that's that's what a lot of these people came yeah. for so they get disappointed That's interesting. Yeah, you mentioned in the podcast how bloodless Murder Rock is. Yeah. And I haven't seen it but I did just recently watch Demonia or Daemonia, however he's pronouncing that, um, which came from I think it was like 1990. Yeah, and that one is yeah. yeah, that one that is again surprisingly bloodless, and also in like not great. <laughs> well, yeah, and the thing is, I, I recently, uh, well, when I say recently, I say in the past couple of years, it's come out on Blu-ray. I can't remember when because I have it, but I haven't rewatched it. But I have every desire to rewatch that particular film too because. I remember being very disappointed with it uh, back in the old bootleg days of yeah. the 90s when I was you know, racing my way through everything I could get my hands on. And I do wonder now if my attitude toward it will change. Um, mm. the, um, it, I, you never know. 
Yeah, you never know. I mean, it's, I don't consider it very likely, but I, I, I do, I do intend to revisit all of these films. Yeah. You know, giving myself enough space to, to you know, possibly change over time. But it's definitely worth giving it a shot. Um, but yeah, I mean, but you know, any Fulci is better than no Fulci. I always say. Well, the thing about Murder Rock is that, it's, uh, aside from the egregious title, <clears throat> which does the film no favors whatsoever, because it 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 certainly has nothing to do with rock. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's 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 a it's a, a combination of fame and flash dance with some murders. You know, it's got mm. a murder mystery. It's like watching fame or flash dance if there was a murder mystery and you know threaded through the entire story. And uh, it is a it, it's I'm sold. It's, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's a it's a mid '80s giallo, which means it's well past the giallo's you know sell by date. But at the same time, uh, it's pretty effectively done. And if you go in with the knowledge that that's what this is, your you know your your joy may may vary a little bit. But it's not it's not a bad film. It's just for a lot of people not what they expect. But it's a pretty mm. good little film. I mean, it's not nearly as good as the Giallos that uh, Fulci was making in the seventies. Don't get me wrong, but mm. it's also not crap. So, well, this is a good opportunity for me to plug the fact that um, I've been looking back at the stats on our episodes. Now we've been doing this. Would you believe we started this a year ago? So oh. this episode is going to be our first anniversary episode by the time I get it out, probably. <laughs> and I didn't get you anything. Oh, um, so yeah, me neither. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but I was looking back at the statistics, and um, the do you want to have a guess at which episode has had our least number of listens? Oh, the least down, down oh, the man. least number of downloads. It would have to be one of the uh, the sex comedy episodes, right? No, no, it is Lucio Fulci, our Fulci episode. So you mentioning oh, wow. Fulci, this is a this is a segue. Yeah, Operazione Luna would appear to be the episode people are the least interested in <laughs> that's well you would think that uh, wow i would have honestly thought there would have been some curiosity about it just because yeah. it's so difficult to see and it is you know it is a very very early fulci just to give somebody yeah. a kind of window and, into his early career but and you know what's i mean what's not to love chicho chicho <laughs> what's not to it's, love everything uh, man um <laughs> everything so yeah so the chances are, if you're listening to this episode, you may not have heard that one. So do go back and check it out because, yeah, uh, Fulci's early comedies are certainly films that get less um, interest from from genre fans. But uh, I, I personally quite quite enjoyed that film. Now, our second least listened to episode hmm. also has a connection to today's episode. And um, I'll get. I'll come back to that. I'm okay. going to leave you on a little cliffhanger there. Um, but, but you're very excited to know what is. The I am least, curious. I'll admit, yeah. the second least popular episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll come back to that. But I would like to thank everybody for listening. This has been a fun year so far, and I've been really pleased at the the interest that we've had. As always, there could be there could be even more. So let's see if we can grow even more in this uh, this coming year. Um, certainly got lots of ideas for future seasons and I wish I had more time to, uh, to to fly through them. I've been considering whether we should do shorter seasons, but I do quite like the idea of doing 10. Yeah, possible, I think 10 it... is the... I've always felt when you suggested it that 10 was the proper number because it gives you yeah. enough films to really kind of dig into the genre and to kind of 
look look at kind of some of the odd side roads that the genre could mm. take eat while still staying within the genre i think that's a good absolutely number. well we'll stick with that one there we go that's, yeah. that's all that's all the uh, confirmation we needed so <laughs> let's get to today's film and then i will answer that question um soon so today now this is interesting today we're talking about the film what have they done to your daughters mm-hmm. or la polizia chiedi aiuto the police call for help or the police ask for help uh this one is from 1974 a busy year for the uh for the genre now from what i can tell 19 i was looking at the number of films in um roberto Curti's book because he's got them listed by year and when we did, uh, which one was it? Blue Movie Blackmail, that was 1973. That seemed to be the peak year, as far as I can tell. There are about 30-odd films. And I've just counted for 1974, and he's got 18. So that's still, I mean, you know, for one country making films in a similar genre, that's still, that's pretty good going, mm-hmm. uh, I would say. But yeah, so Rabid Dogs, which was the film we did last time, that was also 1974. Uh, although, of course, the film didn't come out in 1974. But, oh, it um, should have, yes. It should have, absolutely. So um, what have they done to your daughters, Rod? Um, well, I don't have a <laughs> daughter, a, but okay. since the question is properly framed in English as what have they done to your daughters, all I can say is, my friends, they've turned them into prostitutes. That's what they've done. <laughs> yeah. So the, it's interesting, isn't it, that um, I don't... I haven't been able to tell from the things I've read about this film who gave it that British, uh, like that English language title, because it does tie it in as a sort of loose sequel thematically to um, Massimo Dalamano's previous film, um, which went out under the UK or the, under the English title. What have they done to Solange? Mm-hmm. Which um, which is actually a direct translation, pretty much, Cosa Vetti Fatto e Solange. So the Italian title was that question. But when it came to this film, it was a completely different title, The Police Ask for Help. But somebody somewhere had the great idea of tying it together, which has now, in people's minds, turned it into this kind of sequel. And I think that, and, and it is, we should stress it, it really is only a, a thematic se- sequel. There are no returning mm. characters or anything of that nature. But the the, no. the genius of that, I think, is, is self-evident, where if you had a film that had come out a couple of years before, and the sa- you know, it, you know, some of the same people are making a similar but different type of film, having the, the title be a variation, uh, you know, a slight variation on the first title, a pretty smart marketing move. Mm-hmm. So um, we we talked about Massimo D'Alemano when we did our episode on Blue Movie Blackmail, because that was one of his, another excellent film. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't need to talk too much about that, but there we do have a couple of uh, key actors in this film that I thought it would be good to talk about before we get into the movie itself. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to our returning uh, Bruce Campbell lookalike Mario Adolf, who is back. <laughs> He's back in this movie. We last saw him in uh, which one was it? Milan Caliber Nine. Oh yeah. Where he's a very different kind of character to in this film, which I thought was interesting. It shows he has actually got quite a lot of range. He's a bit sort of one note in Milano Caliber Nine um, as this kind of wild and crazy guy. 
but here he's uh, very serious and very downbeat and not very Bruce Campbell like at all no as a matter of fact the the the, um, the, the calmness of his performance kind of put put puts a puts a wall between the the Bruce Bruce Campbell comparison now but yeah. I, I gotta say being reminded that he was in the bird with crystal plumage and several other movies including oh, yeah. a, a, including a pretty freaking terrible Robin Hood movie that I saw recently <laughs> oh okay from 1971 he was in uh, a film called long well it's, it's English title is long live Robin Hood he plays kind of the Friar Tuck character oh I want to I want to see that that sounds it's uh... Well, let's put it this way. It's not it's not terrible. I, I went on a binge. Uh, and actually, if I have to be honest, it's actually one of the better ones of this type But mm. the uh, that the Italians turned out during that period. But they just all got painted with this broad brush of why the hell am I doing this to myself after about three of them. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, in, in Long Live Robin Hood, he, you can see him as kind of uh, as, <laughs> as freaking, you know, uh, Friar oh, yeah. Tuck. He's Friar, Friar Tuck. Tuck. Yeah, it, which is really, really strange. But at the same time, you know, it's the same movie. Same movie where you can spot a lot of people that you just know from spaghetti westerns, like you know, uh, Giuliano Gemma and uh, Helga Linnae pops up in a great little role. Well, I was going to say, I can, I can see now. Your surely that was your main motivation for watching this film was the. I would love to say that, but to be blunt, <laughs> I do get on these weird jags of of certain specific genres. Like I, 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 I have a fondness for uh, Robin Hood films, and occasionally that will just cause me to go on a hunt for films of that type, and I'll yeah. just be in a rut for like a week trying to watch really obscure examples of such. I, I've done that with Tarzan. It just it it, it happens, you know. <laughs> That sounds like a very worthwhile uh, pastime to me. It is um, to me. <laughs> now, we should also mention, I think this is our first appearance uh, on the podcast for Claudio Casinelli, um, but I'm sure it won't be the last. He is one of my favorites. He's amazing. Um, yeah. What um, What are some of your favorite Casinelli movies? Oh, my goodness. Well, I have to admit, uh, I think the first time I ever saw him and took note of him was when I was much younger, and uh, he plays Zeus in the two Hercules movies from the early 80s that were made oh, with the star yeah. Lou Ferrigno. He plays Luigi, Zeus in those. Luigi so. Cozy's films. Mm -hmm. But also, just recently, mm -hmm. he uh, he has a pretty massive role in Murder Rock. So I just recently oh, watched yeah, him in that, course. too. But yeah. uh, as far as favorites, that's a good question. I, I have to be honest. I think my favorite of the roles that I've seen him in is I really like him as uh, the, in 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 the in the role he plays in uh, Island of the Fishmen for Sergio yeah. Martino. I think he's great in yeah. that because yeah. I absolutely love that movie because it is very much uh, kind of Jules Verne by way of perverted Italians kind of thing, and I just love it. So, <laughs> yeah, that's good. I just watched that the Blu-ray of that recently, which came out from that Aust an Austrian company, Cineploit. Mm -hmm. uh, which looks fabulous but yeah he's great and i loved him in slave of the cannibal god yeah and um suspicious death of a minor that's a very good one uh he's also really good in the film kill a cop which is another poliziotesky film um i mean it's really tragic obviously what happened to him yeah yeah that's um, terrible uh we should elucidate i guess he died yeah. in a helicopter accident while in Arizona making uh, another film for Sergio Martino, uh, Hands of Steel, and uh, yeah. what happened? It was a it was a tragic helicopter accident, and it it 
it pretty much it, it destroyed Sergio Martino in a yeah. lot of ways. He he and uh, Claudio were really really good friends. Uh, yeah. Had worked on had worked on a number of films together. Uh, they consider you know they he they considered each other very very close friends, and this was a shot that involved a, a helicopter flying underneath a, a suspended bridge. That um, uh, as as Sergio Martino says repeatedly, he said that the, he didn't have to be in the helicopter at all. As a matter of fact, he was not slated to be in the helicopter. But as an actor, he decided, he he decided he really wanted to do it. He wanted to be in the helicopter while this while this was being done. And there was an accident, and the helicopter yeah. crashed, and he oh, died, as well sad. as the pilot. Yeah. Yeah, really sad. I was, that was, they'd made, like you said, made a few films together, including um, Slave of the Cannibal God. That was one of those ones that he did. Yeah, Scorpion and, with um, Two Tails. and uh, Yeah. Oh, and was, he'd also done that um, Rome 2033. That was, you know, that was Lucio Fulci, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, but, that's uh, that was for, that was for Fulci, but I think uh, Sergio Martino did uh, uh, the Great Alligator with him, and I mean, oh, yeah. like I said, they'd made many films together, and so they were, yeah. you know, they were friends, and yeah, it just I think it messed up Sergio for a very long time. I don't know that sure. he ever really. Oh, and and uh, Island of the Fishmen, of course, that was yeah. That yeah, was Island of the Fishmen, well. Suspicious yeah. Death of a Miner. They made a lot of films together, so yeah. Really sad, and he was only in his forties. Which, I mean, when you look at these films, that means he was only in his early thirties in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but he's got such a lot of authority, and yeah, he's just so good on the screen. He's really got a lot of presence. Well, he's um, he's handsome. He's talented, yeah. and the and he has a he brings a gravitas to the roles that he plays in every film that you see him in it's not it's not a surprise to anybody that he would be cast to play zeus let's be honest yeah that's true i'd forgotten he was zeus i need to go back to those films but i was thinking i've been considering us doing a little mini um luigi cozzi season so oh, i'd love to do we'll, that yeah yeah maybe we'll throw one of those in um another returning actor to the podcast and this is this is what connects me back to my what was our second least popular episode? <laughs> so oh the my. film op- the film opens uh, with the death of a teenage girl, her body hanging in an attic, um, initially considered to be suicide. And Inspector Valentini, played by Mario Adolf, is the he turns up to uh, initially to investigate this case when it's thought of as being a suicide. Mm-hmm. Now, do you know who? the young girl is oh my um I have she to admit is that i don't she is played by none other than the star of one of my favorite films that we have done on the podcast that is sherry buchanan oh um and <laughs> otherwise known as the star of escape from galaxy 3 my goodness i oh. know that's her and uh, where she was Belle Star, um, <laughs> she this was her first movie. Oh my goodness! Um, after having got involved in uh, what was the story? She'd got involved in an Italian film project that was being shot in Louisiana. She became a secretary on a western, and then ended up moving to Italy and doing several films. And this was her first on-screen role. Um, she went on to be in things like Heroin Busters which I just got the Blu-ray for that last week. Hmm. Um, uh, 
and then Last House on the Beach. Um, she was in one of the Emmanuel films, Zombie Holocaust. She's the star of that one. Oh, uh, yeah, which, that's right. Yeah. So this is her just getting started out, really. And I wish there's very little about her online. And I've been unable to find anything about her apart from what's on her Wikipedia page, basically. Um, but I would love to know more about her and find where she is today. Well, yeah, she as far as we know, she's around. still alive. Yeah, so but it's there's... not a question of her having passed on. So I wonder if yeah. she would be interested in, you know, having a conversation about her her film career. That would well, be yeah. fascinating. Yeah, It would be. But um, I've looked and looked and looked and I can't find what happened to her. But yeah, anyway, there you go. So that answers the question. What is our second least popular episode? It is the one on <laughs> Escape from Galaxy 3. Uh, I, 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 can't, I can't fault people for that. So <laughs> it's a, it well, is it's a, a stone, difficult film to see in the first place. So. It's a stone cold classic. And I would <laughs> urge, I mean, it's on YouTube. I would urge anybody who hasn't heard that episode do check it out. It's one of the funniest films. Uh, it's it's an unsung comedy classic. And uh, I would urge you all to have a listen to that and then go and watch the film. Uh, it's so good. And it would make an excellent kind of surprise announcement from somebody like Vinegar Syndrome that they were going to put it out in 4K or something. <laughs> you are you I mean, are you are you are dangerously close to me initiating an entire concept that is is <laughs> you know the, the question becomes is it a good movie or is it an Adrian Smith good movie? It's, well, it's, I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like to see the positive side, um, but that film is just downright hilarious. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I'm not going to repeat myself because if you have heard that episode, you already know why I think that's hilarious. I anyway, so uh, what have they done to your daughters? Now, the age-old argument, is it a Polizioteschi? Is it a Jallo? It's What's both. your thoughts on that? It's it is both. both. It really is. Now, don't get me wrong. It, uh, if you were talking about, if you were, if you had a sliding scale of, you know, dividing it between the two, and you know, had to, you had to decide on percentages of what, how much of what versus how much of that, you know, um, it leans a little heavily toward the police procedural. No, yeah. no doubt, it does. Uh, but at the same time, um, it is very much in keeping with the the elements that you would expect from a giallo to the point where it's really about i'd say maybe a 60 40 split between police procedural and you know murder thriller uh yeah. and sometimes it feels like it's sliding toward maybe 65 and sometimes it's it feels like because there are chases in this film um, oh so good that are so tense that are yeah. so i mean just you know fing fingernails <laughs> You know, uh -huh. fingernails tightened on the on the the armrest of the chair. Just, I mean, there's some really amazing stuff, and, yeah. and there and there's a variation. There's a, there's a lot of variety within those chases. I mean, there's there are these amazing uh, on foot chases where, uh, you know, where we start a scene where everything is tense, and then there's this massive burst of blood red violence, and then oh, a yeah. chase. A chase follows uh -huh. immediately after. It's exceptionally yeah. well done. And then there are these. There are two. Uh, well, there's one really brilliant. Uh, motorcycle versus car chase that yeah. is just some of the best stuff you're going to see of that type from the period. And then yeah. the ending is this incredibly tense thing where you think it's going to bust out into that kind of thing, but honestly, there's just too many people around and it's clearly yeah. not going to go that way. It's just, it's, it's a, it's an exceptional, 
I sometimes I sometimes fear that we we tend to to uh, really enjoy films because of the things that we enjoy within the genre more than someone coming fresh to a, a particular film for the first time would really enjoy it. But I can honestly say this is one of the best films of this type that exists. Yeah. Uh, some people would say that uh, what what have they done to Solange is a slightly better movie, but it's also a, it's also a different movie with a different pulse. Oh, and yeah. I think this is a fantastic combination of splitting the difference between a giallo, a murder thriller, a murder mystery that kind of keeps you guessing about what you know who is the murderer, what is going on exactly, as the layers of the onion get peeled away. But at the same time. Is just packed with those kinds of police action sequences that you 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 live for in this in you know in the in the Polachetsky Polachetsky it's it's amazing it's really well done it's such a good old movie yeah and that uh, like you mentioned that main chase with the motorbike and the police car chasing him when when I was watching that I really felt like hmm did they get permission to film this did they close <laughs> any roads or are they just filming in real traffic and just going for it it's got that sort of feel to it. That it's very much just let's just race and do this before the police get here kind of thing. <laughs> I, th- there's some good. of it once they get out into the uh, into the the countryside and they're on those gravel roads. Yeah, you know that that's not a problem. But some of that stuff in the city, I I don't know, man. Yeah. Well, I know that um, I know in the there are other directors who did do stuff like that without closing off any roads or mm-hmm. anything like that. I know. Um, I'm pretty sure in Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man some of the stuff in there is just for real but um, but anyway but yeah so I mean, the the whole Jallo and Polizioteski thing is interesting it's in both it's in the book that uh, that we've been using a lot of Roberto Curti's book um, it's also in Troy Howarth's So Deadly So Perverse volume 2 and um, I think that if you look at I, mean, I guess the titles what have you done to their to our no what have they done to your daughters mm-hmm. does feel a bit more like a jallo title with a sort of you know long it's a question that fits very much with the the sort of jallo style whereas la polizia chiedi aiuto sounds very much like a polizia teschi so even in the kind of different titles you get this sort of split identity and i also think it's interesting that it's a sort of murder mystery but it's also like suspicious death of a minor it's kind of this in police investigation and covering a sort of teenage prostitution ring all of that stuff all the investigative stuff the idea of like an angry cop who's fighting against the system all that stuff comes straight out of the Polizioteschi but then on the other side you've got this masked killer in uh, with a, a motorbike helmet and gloves who's stalking people and yeah you've got these two elements that that almost like it's two separate movies for quite a lot of the film yeah and then it all sort of comes together at the end i don't want to give away too much of the plot or spoil anything in particular uh because it's a film that everyone should go out and see but i was just thinking about it and every time i've seen this movie by the time i i've finished it turned it off put it away i've already forgotten who the murderer was like, <laughs> which i like, have to say i agree with you because i just i i've watched it twice now here in the past week and when I started it the second time, I remember the outcome. I remember the details of how things break down and what and the actions that take place. But I had to watch it a second time to be reminded, oh, yeah, yeah, it's this guy. 
But the thing is, it's not that it doesn't make sense or anything of that nature. It's I I think it's kind of a strange attestation to the fact that the the by that point in time, we've already sussed out it's a prostitution ring, how things are being done who's kind of masterminding it. So the person who's running around with a meat cleaver on a motorcycle is, he's he's kind of, I hate to put it this way, he's kind of like the secondary villain. Yeah. And his identity isn't so important because we're verbally told who it is about uh, about five minutes or ten minutes before the end. And then the, the, the end of the movie is that getting, you know, is that getting wrapped up and him getting captured. So yeah. it's it's not so important who the it's more important who the the, the ringleader is. Mm. Yeah, it's like there's two separate crimes really here yeah. that are being investigated, and the one that's getting all of the real attention is the who is behind this prostitution racket. And what's interesting is that so there you've got these schoolgirls who are involved in this thing, and they interview some of the girls and talk to them. And the girls are never really blamed or accused of doing anything wrong. They're treated very much as victims themselves. Right. Um, and the real emphasis is on these horrible old guys who've been doing this thing and getting away with it. And then you start to discover that this goes up that these are all important men this goes into you know the sort of higher echelons of italian society mm-hmm. and by the end of the movie it's a kind of really depressing end that they they may catch the killer but they don't catch the real villains there's this suggestion that they've still got a lot of work to do if they're going to bring this thing down so it's quite yeah, a and, downer <laughs> well it, it is and uh there, there's a there's the the slightest crack of light at the very very end when you have uh, the trio of people the trio of uh, police uh, well two policemen and the uh, mm. the the female uh, the DA DA who basically kind of stand there and decided they're not going to do what they want to do which is just you know tell everybody to go to hell and walk away from this because it's just too disgusting yeah but you know that they're that they're going to stand and fight and so there's that positive you know there, you can look at it as that being uh, the positive way in which something like this can turn out with all the negativity all the the dark elements of the story kind of culminating in the only way that they really could uh and i think that's a good jumping off point to talk for just a second about how much in line with uh the the it's it, sometimes it's subtext but most of the time in these police procedural films from italy in the 70s it's, mm, it's just, text, just the text yeah <laughs> which is uh, this this commentary on the the, the degrading of not, in this film they're using you know some of the most vulnerable these these girls who are just becoming women who are being turned into prostitutes for others uh, others gain and and the movie is smart enough i think to show us a variety of reactions to what this turn in their lives means. I mean, we have one who's incredibly blase about it and doesn't believe that anybody can give a crap about, you know, what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then these others who are obviously traumatized and one who's mm-hmm. been murdered. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, 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 the desire within the film to, although not you know, draw a lot of attention to it, but to show the various ways in which people are reacting to this, who are the ones being exploited, uh, is is another big plus to this because they can't they they cannot spend a whole lot of time on this before it turn you know or it would turn into some kind of 
kitchen sink drama about the horrors that the title, the English title spells out, right? Yeah. But it is the underlying thing that drives the story. And these films spend a, spend a lot of time mining the, the standard fears, not just of parents, but the standard fears of any society that is watching a large number of the youth, he says, putting it in scare quotes, uh, doing things that are considered immoral or wrong or the kinds of things that are, are, even if they're not necessarily criminal, in this case they are criminal, but that are not approved of. There's this uh, this this tisking of the younger generation that is folded into the way these stories are constructed. And don't get me wrong, I, I know that because we, 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 often, we often have to point out that as much as we may enjoy something like a, a Dirty Harry film to point to a similar, you know, American version of this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, the the politics being espoused by these movies are, in the end, taken to their extreme, fascistic. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the hard right version of a world in which these cops would be able to rough, run roughshod over anyone who was stepping out of line is not a pretty sight. It's not a concept that you would want to, it's not a country you'd want to live in. Mm-hmm. And it's not a concept that anybody sane who thinks for more than five seconds about something like this would consciously back up and think would be a good idea. It'd be a good idea for about 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and then you would step out of line and get the same yeah. treatment and suddenly That's wonder it. why your parking ticket is suddenly a, a capital offense. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wouldn't it be fun if Dirty Harry was real? No, it wouldn't. No, it'd it would be, be horrible. Terrible. <laughs> But what I like with this movie, because obviously dirty, the Dirty Harry and um, French Connection kind of model is what's behind a lot of the Poliziotesky films. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I like how this one you've got. So as we mentioned, so the film starts with a murder. Inspector Valentini is on board uh, at first because they think it's a suicide. Once it becomes murder, it gets turned over to Inspector Silvestri, played by Claudio Casinelli. Um, he is in constant contact with... Um, with the assistant DA, Vittorio Story, played by Giovanni Radley. And there's a whole big thing made about the fact, oh, it's a woman. Sort of, sort of very Roger Moore, James Bond, you know, a woman uh, kind of thing. And <laughs> yeah. there's lots of, oh, no, it's a woman. We're embarrassed. Oh, is she going to be as good as a man? But she turns out to be a very good ally for Inspector Silvestri. But you could see this, um, I forgot where I'm going with this now. Oh, yeah, like the whole sort of Dirty Harry thing. Uh, he could have just gone off on his own and started like shooting all these guys who have been doing this terrible thing. But mm-hmm. in, but it's a bit more work. He's trying to work within the system to to bring this criminal enterprise down and solve this crime and solve these murders. And he doesn't quite go as far. Even I mean, once because Inspector Valentini, they uncover the fact that his own daughter is one of these girls. Yeah, and you could have then sent the film off on a bit of a death wish kind of thing, you know, where Inspector Valentini just goes off with a gun and starts blasting his way through all these guys because they know who some of them are, but he doesn't. He is still working with the police, so it's almost like the film is saying, "Yes, these terrible things are happening, but we have faith in the system that it could bring them down, even if it hasn't brought them down by the end of the movie." Right. There's a kind of like you mentioned. There's that note of hope. When the three of them at the end, um, they're kind of like, yeah, we, you know, we've still got a lot of work to do. Let's, we're not going to throw in our badges and uh, 
go and form some kind of vigilante hit squad. We're going to we're going to bring this thing down using the law or something like that. Because there are other Polizioteski films where there is a vigilante hit squad of cops, and yeah. and uh, you know, Dirty Harry too, I think, does that too. I think. Uh, but anyway. uh, yeah, Magnum, Magnum Force. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but in terms of the plot, I don't think we should go too much into it. But let's just pick out some of the, the key moments from the beginning. So, I've got the plot summary here uh, from Roberto Curti's uh, Poliziotesque book. A fourteen-year-old girl, Sylvia Povesi—that's Sherry Buchanan, Bell Star—is um, found hanged in an attic after an anonymous phone call by a man who's later identified as as a photographer. Now, that whole scene is hilarious when they finally catch this guy, this photographer. Oh, and I know. He's got yeah, that, yeah. well. He's been basically spying on this girl and her young lover in this room. Um, so the police officials on the case. We have Commissioner Silvestri, um, Valentini. At the beginning, we think he's going to be the main cop, but then he sort of disappears for quite a lot of the film, and then comes back again once his daughter becomes involved, because they interrogate various suspects and witnesses, and this is where they discover. Oh, it's amazing. They go to this um, this apartment, and they discover that there was a re- um, there'd been a hidden tape recorder in mm-hmm. this place, and that's when they go into the bathroom, and it's the bloodiest scene. There is this blood all up the walls, over the floor. This is a film that does not hold back on the level of violence and just horror associated with was... all this stuff. What I thought was really smart about the the construction of the violence in this movie is that there are a few scenes of of graphic violence, but they are not in the first part of the movie. This part of the movie where we are introduced to the idea that uh, we're introduced to, okay, we think this is where the, you know, we think this is where the murder took place. And then we go, you know, we we're looking around the various rooms with the cops, or you know, the cameras yeah. following along. It's this handheld camera thing, and we go into this white tile bathroom where yeah. <laughs> there's not a tile in that room that has not been splattered in blood, nope. and there's not a body there. And the the movie is essentially giving you the giving you the knowledge right now that graphic violence is a possibility here. In other words, it's yeah. just kind of planting a seed that it's going to exploit later on when it flowers into view in a really couple of hideous ways. Um, yeah. the, the, it's, it's, it's really smart to, to it's, it's the, uh, it's the magician telling you to keep an eye on this hand, knowing mm-hmm. that you're not going to be able to keep that in your mind as he distracts you with something else. And that's, that's really just smart filmmaking. Yeah. Cause we like, so then now they know that there are two murders, but they need a body for the second murder. Mm-hmm. And eventually they track down, this car that they think was connected to the potential victim and then they find him in the boot and then there's an amazing scene in of an autopsy where they're basically having to piece him back together like a jigsaw mm-hmm. um for an for an identity of who this body is and yeah this is a film that doesn't hold back i mean right from quite early on when they have to i'm not going to go into it here but they describe um there's a there's an autopsy on the girl Mm-hmm. who they initially think was a suicide but then they realize that she's been murdered and the autopsy uncovers some pretty horrifying stuff about the state of her body when she died uh bearing in mind this is a 14 year old girl this is a film that doesn't hold back on the on the details just the things that they talk about 
Um, and then later on, they eventually get hold of the tape recordings made in the room that was being used for these sort of assignations um, or this abuse that's been taking place. And they play these tape recordings over and over and over again, and they are horrible. Yeah, this film yeah. doesn't just is doing its best to make you feel very uncomfortable and, and uh, under no possible doubt that what is happening here is a bad thing. Well, the uh, to to me, I was I'm, I'm impressed by so many things in this movie, and one of the ones is how they they vary how they they give you the information. We uh, we are uh, we're told verbally. We we see the body. It's one of the first things we see in the movie, and then we're introduced to the information about uh, the state of her body uh, and the the telltales that the uh, the forensics people give them that points out that she was she was killed. This is not she did not commit suicide. This is definitely a murder. Um, yeah. You know we're giving these we're given these details from experts verbally, and then. For the scene where the body is identified by the parents, we are—it's—it's it's shot in such a way that we are right behind the parents, observing this, just like we're there with them, and it's—it's um, it's one of those things where the the director is damn well sure exactly how to put you in uh, an uncomfortable position for these types of scenes each time because the cold the, the the cold way in which the forensics information is is gotten across to you is then immediately turned on its head by having to be there with the grieving parents who are having to identify the body you're and you're placed right beside them mm. and it's just it's brilliant filmmaking that just immediately puts you in a position that the a lesser filmmaker wouldn't even think about you know he wouldn't think about the camera placement in such a way as to do this and i'm not sure that that's you know that's exactly how the the police would uh, show you a body like that i would to, to a degree right. i think it's a little more cinematic as presented here than it would be in reality simply because i think that you might want to give them a little you know a little easier time seeing the face yeah. instead of the you know the, the the body's feet being towards you and the, and the head being a yeah. little bit further away from you but at the same time the reason that shot is set up that way is because it's exceptional and it allows you to you know, it's an exceptional exceptional visual, and it also, like I say, it allows the the handheld camera to put you in their position, literally right mm -hmm. next to them. And mm -hmm. uh, it's just it's it's incredibly effective, and it's the kind of stuff that you don't necessarily. I, I keep I keep bringing these things up to people when uh, we're talking about movies. Just you know, when we're not doing a podcast, I just like to point out certain things like this because do you, I, I, do you know how do you know why this was so effective? It's because of where they place the camera or it's because yeah. of how they lit this particular item in the shot or how this was in frame and that was not in frame and things like that because a smart director uh can can put the emphasis on the correct thing to give you the impression he wants to give you even if he if he's trying to hide something if he's trying to stoke your emotions whatever it is and this movie is expertly done and it's yet another uh example of going through a movie made by this fine director and once again finding reasons to lament the fact that he passed away as early as he did mm. yeah now this film is just so full of uh really effective moments um mm -hmm. like you mentioned there's a there's a there's a foot chase through a hospital that's shot with um a really wide angle lens that um is particularly effective 
and also involves some pretty shocking violence uh, and lots of yeah. blood on the screen and everything. Yeah, there are so many great moments. They're not afraid of slinging the red around. No, the um, and the, so that you've got these sort of two crimes happening, and I would was never quite sure, even though I've watched this film a few times, exactly what the motivation was of the killer, and I think it's to do with he has somehow been involved in this prostitution ring and he is trying to track down the evidence that's going to be able to convict any of these kind of wealthy powerful men yeah. i think i think well, they've that's been, what it is well you know to, to not give too much away but uh, these wealthy powerful men uh, have put themselves in the position to be blackmailed yeah, and that's true. Because because of the the things that have to happen when you're blackmailing someone, uh, that stuff can be traced back to somebody, and yeah. it, and the guy running around with a meat cleaver is the man whose head would be on the chopping block. So, he's the man who was the face of it and is mm. doing his best to get rid of anything yeah. that would lead back to him. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's really amazing film. Um, we haven't mentioned the music yet, which is a particularly uh, oh. integral part of it. Stelvio Cipriani again, yes. who I think I talked about in the last episode and how all his music sounds the same, uh, which is a bit harsh. It's, but this... it, 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 yes, and I, I can't agree with you because, man, this, does this, does the oh, music this is really good. Oh, it's such an exceptional score. He's so yeah. good. I think he does have again this kind of staccato uh, style that we heard and I sort of talked about last time. But but yeah, this is a particularly iconic theme. Although apparently, according to Roberto Curti, it's mostly recycled from Execution Squad and The Great Kidnapping, which I must admit I haven't seen either of those. So I'm only familiar mm. with the music from this film. Well, if they have this music, they already have something I like in them. So there you go. So worth checking out. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, really great score um, that really drives a lot of the particular sort of action sequences. Um, there's also a very effective stalking scene when uh, our DA, assistant DA, yes. uh, Vittoria Story, is dropped off by her driver in a in the sort of car park beneath her building, and she's under attack from um, a bicycle, uh, a motorbike riding killer. Hmm. And he's kind of stalking her in the car park, and it all feels very much like a slasher movie, uh, in the very way that so, that is yeah. filmed and shot. And it makes me wonder how sort of influential this film was on that sort of later cycle. Well, I do I think know. that uh, you know the the, the the slasher genre really didn't flower until after Black Christmas and Halloween. Of course, Black Christmas mm. came out this year, and you know came out in '74. Yeah, true. 
and Halloween is the one that really sent it into uh, you know sent it into the uh, <laughs> to the minds of every single independent producer in the planet Earth <laughs> that this would be a good idea. Uh, Hall- Halloween was the was the the nexus point that that spread in every direction, but mm-hmm. the uh, you know there, it's very easy to point backwards in times to to films that influenced or kind of set the uh, the, the kind of um, parameters of what would be used within a, a well done slasher film uh, or even a poorly done slasher film. Let's be honest, it, 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 it gives you the it gives you the template, the ideas behind what you're doing. You know, you, every every I I love to point to uh, Mario Bava's Bay of Blood. Uh, yeah. as a as a you know a, a body count film the the idea of your you're watching a, a series of people being mowed down by a killer and of course there's a wonderful surprise to bay of blood that I won't give away if you've not seen it but it's it paints itself into into a wonderful position of being vastly superior to a lot of other films because it's it's much smarter in how it's doing what it's doing but for that style for the 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 stalk and slash aspect of those kinds of movies there are a lot of movies to draw upon all the way back mm. to you know mario bava's blood and black lace uh, i mean you can start you know you can start looking at some of the crimi films that have a lot of these kinds of scenes as well the, the films that were produced the you know the the the, the criminal uh criminal uh films that were produced in the Ger- germany in the, the fi- late 50s through the uh, early 70s uh, of which this may be considered part you know right after the tail end of that that kind of ended. There are some places mm. that would list "What Have You Done to Solange" as kind of one of the last of the "quote unquote" crimmy films. Although I don't know if you want to. That's yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. But the the idea of the whole stalk and slash uh, as a as a massive set piece. In other words, you're not just you know you're not just tossing something like this off. You're 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 structuring it very carefully for maximum suspense and tension. This is exactly the kind of thing that any any anybody in the early '80s looking for a way to to, to set up a stalk and slash sequence uh, or just a stalk sequence that, you know, that fails is mm. you could look at this and, and just, ve- you know, copy the, copy the shoot, the, the, the shots, yeah. you know, one by one by one. And you would have a fantastic sequence because this is, this takes, this is a two or three minute long sequence that is tense as can be with her hiding, you know, hiding behind cars, hiding under cars, uh, trying, yeah. you know, trying to make sure that she can get away. And, and of course, even the, the un- unfortunate uh, instigating instance, instigating uh, event that puts her in the position where she uh, she's going to have to rely on somebody to get her through the door into her own building um, is is it, it, it it's one of those things where you're like ah oh, one piece of bad luck and then ah oh, it, yeah. it escalates from there uh, because yeah. without that one piece of bad luck she would have had an easy way to keep this from escalating as it does mm. and. Uh, yeah, it just builds well, the tension. It just builds and builds and builds and builds. And, and what I love is that anybody, uh, you know, I, I do wonder if at the time that this film was being shown initially in theaters in the 70s, if that wasn't also something that would have keyed heavily into the kind of social commentary being made about how all it takes for even someone as upright and on the side of good as this woman to be in mortal danger of her, you know, yeah. is one small mistake you know mm-hmm. one you know accident of oh, i have the wrong keys or whatever it might be you know something like that that yeah. is to me the the one of the things that i think 
doesn't necessarily play to us now when we're watching it at home on a you know on a on a Blu-ray, but it is the kind of thing that I think sitting in a movie theater in 1974-75 would have keyed into that overarching theme that the film plays with and is kind of kind of the text slash subtext of what the mm-hmm. hell this movie is commenting on. Didn't uh, just in terms of comparisons of of killers with motorbike helmets on this reminded me is it Nightmare Beach? Uh, yes, there's Nightmare Beach. There's another one that we could talk about too. <laughs> that I, I, I maybe maybe you're too nice a person to not to 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 bring up strip nude for your killer. I don't know. Oh. Well, I, I've never actually seen that one to be honest. But oh, I, I that's did, that's right. You haven't. Okay. Well, I, uh, <laughs> I did read nude. in the book that it, he mentions that here that there's a comparison with that one. Yeah, it came out uh, in '75. Edward Finnick. Um, it, you would have to search high and low to find a sleazier <laughs> giallo <laughs> whose who's central mystery hangs together with so few ten, tenuous threads that it, it which it should really just fly apart when you look right at it directly uh mm. it's it's um but it does sport uh, a killer that runs around in you know, essentially a black leather outfit right. and a motorcycle helmet. So yeah, there you go. Now the um, so the film is available in, in the UK. It's not available on Blu-ray. It's only, as far as I know, out on DVD from uh, Shameless. But in America, it was put out on Blu-ray by Arrows. So it's one of those yeah. instances where different companies have got the rights and stuff. So the Arrow Blu-ray, the, it looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. And uh, and comes with loads of great extras, which I haven't had time to watch a lot of them. But there's some good interviews and stuff in there. Yes, sir. Um, but also the the most intriguing and another sort of quite sleazy and depressing element to this film is the inclusion of hardcore footage, which was apparently shot by Dalamano himself to be used in this movie, um, which was never used, thankfully. But they've put it on here as sort of sound with no sound. And it's um, I don't know if you had an opportunity to no, I haven't sort of watched that because briefly I'm, glimpse at that, but it's pretty grim i kind of I kind of feel like I need to, but I haven't yeah. done it yet, which which yeah. will tell you uh, which will tell you a strange thing. I'm getting old uh, clearly <laughs> the fact that I didn't you know rocket straight toward the uh, the silent porno film footage is uh, a, a sign that i i've passed i've passed a certain yeah. point in my life i don't know what it would be but yeah <laughs> i mean it's interesting just from a sort of completionist point of view i suppose to see what dalamano what sort of ideas he had but clearly i mean the film is is kind of sleazy enough in terms of not sleazy is perhaps the wrong word but disturbing enough just by using the audio recordings to tell to to tell you what was going on with these girls and these old yeah. men you didn't need to see some footage which is shot it's shot as though it is like they're being recorded for blackmailing purposes and this footage looks like it was shot with a similar idea that it would be um hidden camera footage because oh. it, it in the film we see them they use film quite a lot actually there's a bit where they're looking at footage of riots because obviously this is at a very politically uh, explosive time in Italian history, and they're looking at real. There's a combination of real footage and shot for this movie, footage of young people rioting and so on. So we see the police with projectors, and they're pausing and they're rewinding and they're watching again. And I think the idea might have been that this footage would have been part of that element of it, because all of the all of the abuse 
has happened before this film started. So as they're investigating the prostitution ring, they're looking back at what happened. So I'm assuming this footage would have fitted in like that. It would have been another part of the investigation. But um, there was no need for it, basically. It's uh, pretty pretty horrifying. Um, But if you're curious, um, just, just... it's there exactly um but there's there's something else i was just gonna say that would never have been allowed to be included if this was put out on blu-ray in the uk they wouldn't have been able to put that on so i think they could get away with it because it's put on in america but that would not have passed the census um over here strangely enough the colonies are still a little more lax in the censorship department (laughs) We're we're trying to change that if you pay attention to the news, mm. but still. Uh, well, before we get too far away from it, I would like to point out that um, mm. one of the surprising things to me, uh, looking at this movie, just as an example of uh, the genre that this season is about, is uh, the that district attorney character played by Giovanna Reale, uh, or Ray, 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 I think mm. it's Ray Rally. Rally. Yeah, something. I'm like not that. sure how. I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, but. She is, of course, she's she's a gorgeous lady. Don't get me wrong, but she's also a, a, a she's a she's a middle aged woman. She's not a she's not a teenager. She's not in her twenties. This is a woman who's been around long enough to be in the position that she's in. In other words, it's proper casting. Mm. And she's uh, she's the one who supervises the investigation. She's not some shrinking violent. Uh, she's not some shrinking violet. I should say. Uh, she's yeah. uh, she's intelligent. Uh, she's competent, and she's. Uh, but she's also sensitive and in sometimes sometimes knows exactly that she can that the fact that she's a woman will allows her to get some of the people involved in this to open up in a way that they might not if it was a room full of just men and yeah. she's i think she may be unique in this entire genre of being in a position of being part of the investigation and as a matter of fact one of the most important parts of the investigation yeah, of a, of, a, of a film like this, and it's really impressive. I mean, we were decades away from from the from you know even just television shows where the lead detectives were both women or something like that. And in this, uh, it stands out because it is such a rarity, and it is a yeah. great role. And even though she's an incredibly beautiful woman, and let's be honest, the man she spends the most time with on screen is a gorgeous man. Uh, there is no romantic flare-up between the two of them. There's no hint whatsoever that these two That's true, yeah. are going to be involved in some kind of romantic relationship of any type. Yeah. They're professional through and through. And so that's yeah. another, in my book, another big point in this film's favor is that it's not going to waste time falling back onto stupid tropes like that. And these are these are professional people involved in a very serious endeavor, and they're not going to take their eye off the ball for for something ridiculous. And I just I that's another thing where I just kind of nod my head to this film in in, in appreciation. It's it's a smart, savvy thing, and it's just there. It's presented as a natural part of the story. Yeah, no, you're right. That's a really good point. Um, yeah, there's no romance between them at all. They're just getting on with their jobs, and the the case that they're working on is so horrible that I would imagine that neither of them would feel any like slight, you know, feelings towards each other or wanting to have anything to do with sex ever again, yeah. Yeah. because what they're having to deal with is so disgusting. Well, um, I think the but movie yeah, she, emphasizes that with yeah. that final scene where you have the, the, the two male detectives and her standing there like at three points of a triangle 
like yeah. probably about seven or eight feet apart from each other, having this conversation where they're where they're essentially kind of pledging what they're going to do. And these are these are three people who see themselves as equals to each other. These are you know this is not someone protecting somebody else. That's not what any of this is. These yeah. are three adult human beings coming to a mutual decision. It's it's yeah. it's really well done. Yeah, no, she's very they're very good. Um, I think well, I think we'll leave it there. Like I said, I don't want to like spoil too much of the film and the plot. We've we've talked about some of the key scenes, but um, this is definitely a film that I would urge you all to to seek out. It's a real highlight of the of the genre. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a high water mark for uh, yeah. for this type of film. It's an exceptional example. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Rod, and thank you everybody for listening. I hope you've enjoyed uh, hearing about this one. If you haven't seen it, go and get yourself sorted out, is what I say. And if you have seen it, maybe we'll have inspired you to uh, to watch it again. Uh, do join us next time for another one. I think we're doing Savage Three next time. Oh, is that um, the next one? Cool. I think so. Which was on that, that new Arrow box set that came out last year. Yeah, I think um, it's 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 going to be one of the first ones we've done that I've not seen yet. Oh uh, yeah, no, I haven't seen that one yet either. So I'm looking forward to uh, yeah to checking that one out. Um, but yeah, thank you everybody uh, once again. Please do uh, subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, give us a rating or a review. Online. Tell your tell your friends about the show tell your friends uh share <laughs> share it on social media follow us on twitter that's the main place to to talk to us if you want to mm-hmm. and um all of that stuff all the links as usual and the email address are in the uh in the notes uh so thank you rod for joining me and doing this again and thank you for keeping this show going this is a this is a real delight and a true joy man thank you again thank you and yeah it's been a year who would have thought no oh, i know I did. Um, I did not realize. I. I did not take note of when we first started this. So I was unaware. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Thanks everybody for listening, and we'll uh, talk to you all again soon. Bye. Bye everyone. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.